Acts chapter 20 is where we'll be this morning if you want to flip over there. Uh, This is um, Paul's kind of his parting words to the church in in Ephesus. He's been on his his missionary journey now for for quite a while. He's wrapping up the third journey and trying to make his way back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost for the Jewish people was what they called um, the, the, the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. But for the Christian, it now commemorated the time when the Holy Spirit came upon the church And so I'm not sure what Paul's hurry is, if it's to go back for the Jewish holiday or for the Christian holiday, but he wants to get back there in a hurry. And verse 16 tells us that he makes a decision to sail past Ephesus because of this. Uh, He'd spent three years there. You can imagine what it would be like if he were to pop into town. Uh, Everybody would want to catch up with Paul. Paul would want to catch up with everybody else, and it would take way too long. It's kind of like when I tell Joy, hey, I'm just going to run into the church to say hi to a couple of people, and then, you know, an hour goes by because you love being around family. So he, uh, he doesn't want to stop into Ephesus, but he also doesn't want to leave without spending some quality times with the, with the church leaders who he knew he would probably never see again. So this is kind of like a last elder meeting before he heads down the road. Elder meetings can be fun, believe it or not. We, we, we have a good time at our elder meetings, but I don't think we do them the way we're supposed to. I know I've been in churches where you do the, the whole Robert's Rules of Order, I think it's called. I don't even know what it's called, so that tells you exactly what. But yeah, we don't do the, you know motion carried and all that kind of stuff. We just enjoy being together, talking through things, praying through things. It's a much more organic kind of meeting. And I think that's what this was as well. So we read in verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. I want to take a quick detour here for a minute to discuss the titles that we use um, to describe church leaders so that we're all on the same page. Because our model at the door, quite frankly, has confused people over the years. People don't get it, and, and it's a little unusual compared to some other churches today. But we do believe that what we're doing is biblical, not that the, what the other churches are doing isn't. We're not bagging on anybody. But, but I want to explain this for a second, because most churches today have created sort of a third category for church leadership. So you've got pastors, elders, deacons. And, and also, sometimes the names can vary a bit, The concept is that they generally have one person who's the head pastor or lead pastor, and then under him, they may have a couple of other pastors, but generally one. Then under that guy, they have a board of elders, which is usually, you know, a group of godly men, sometimes retired businessmen, things like that, that are almost like a board of directors or or an advisory board. They help make decisions, but they're not really pastors. Um, Now, churches vary from time to time in that regard, but usually they wouldn't be guys you would call on to come up and preach a sermon or to pastor in the same sense that we think of. Um, and then you've, lastly, you've got a board of deacons. Deacons are generally just those servant leaders who take care of all the things in the church that need to be taken care of, stuff like the building, for instance. So even though they might agree that there are only two offices in church leadership, they function as though they were, there were three. And at the door, we believe the Bible just gives two offices, elders and deacons. And so the elders at the church are David, Terry, Chad, and myself. And we are responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church. And then between our two locations, we have nine deacons made up of men and women uh, who take care of all of the practical things so that we can focus on spiritual matters. So for instance, we have a thriving food ministry that involves a lot of moving parts and a lot of volunteers. And guess how much time we have to spend making sure that that works? None. It's fantastic. It's like the best thing ever for us. It functions beautifully. It serves the community and we don't have to pay any attention to it at all because our deacons take care of it. 
That's a blessing. It's, it's the beauty of having this great bunch of people to take care of a ton of stuff that needs to happen. So we're grateful for our deacons in the church. Now, some of you might still be confused because you're absolutely sure that the Bible prescribes both pastors and elders, and you think I'm a lunatic right now because of what I'm saying. And so I want to try to clear that up. The New Testament primarily uses two terms for this position that we call pastor, and those are elder, which is a Greek word, presbyteros, and overseer, which is a Greek word, episkopos. And both of those are used to describe what we call a pastor. The word pastor, ironically, is probably the least used term for, for what we do. And it really just describes one aspect of what we do. It's the word shepherd. So a person who is an elder or an overseer, their job is to shepherd the body. So we believe here that the Bible teaches that an elder, an overseer, a pastor, whatever word you want to throw in there, minister, reverend, bishop, you know, all those things, they're all the same thing. And we also believe that churches should have multiple pastors or elders, not just one, not, not one that, that kind of leads all of them. So, so we don't have a lead pastor or a separate elder board. Uh, David, Terry, myself, and Chad are the elder board. We are co-equal pastors. Now that doesn't mean that sometimes we don't have somebody who leads something because if you'll, it, we're all gifted differently, we're all wired differently. So for instance, when we go to do a church plant, guess who we send? The crazy guy, right? We send, we send David because he's the one that is built to do that. You don't send me to do that. I do announcements and I cry when I need to. That's what, you know, if that's like coming up, it's like send Brent. So we all have different things that we, we lead out in at times, but we don't have one lead pastor. That is why it works so well. Thank you. It wouldn't work if it was just one of us. Trust me, I wouldn't want to be that guy, uh, but I love being on a team of guys. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, if you want some biblical support for this idea, you find it here where you see all three of these terms used to describe the same person. And so Peter starts out by saying there, so I exhort the elders among you, and then he goes on to tell them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, and then he says, and exercise oversight. All three of those terms are, are, are captured there in 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and so in other words, he says the elders are supposed to pastor and oversee God's people. And that's, that's where we come to this conclusion. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to do all the work. I know that that's a misnomer in some churches. Like, okay, those guys are the, the ones that are supposed to do everything because they're the paid professionals and obviously, you know, very gifted. Not really. Uh, we need everybody to do the work of ministry. God has equipped each one of you uniquely to do what we can't do. So, so if you... Uh, find out that Pat is going in to have her, her knee replaced on, on Monday, call Pat and encourage her. Let her know you're praying for her. When she, her surgery's done, go to the hospital and visit her. We need to do this too. I'm not saying it's all you, but we need to do this together. If you walk by and you see a sheep just laying on its side in the church, you know, because apparently sheep do that sometimes. They just fall over and they can't get up. Uh, you don't have to wait for us to come and pick that thing back up again. You can help your brother and sister and move them along. And, and when we're all doing this together, this is kind of how we view pastoral ministry. The whole church should be, to some degree, shepherding each other. Even though we're responsible for the oversight and the leadership, everybody's supposed to be doing this. Okay, verse four of First Peter, by the way, says that one day the chief shepherd will appear. Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. Chief shepherd is another way of saying head pastor. He's the, he's the lead pastor of every church because this is his church with the, which he purchased with his own blood. And we're glad that he is the lead pastor and that we're the under shepherds. Uh, being a pastor, being an elder is an awesome privilege, 
but it's also an awesome responsibility. One day we stand before him and give an answer, which is a daunting thing to consider. And during this very unique time, as we've been going through all kinds of weirdness in the church and in the world and, and all that, it's been very difficult to kind of know what to do as pastors. And Acts 20 is a great reminder of what our role is for the church. So I was really glad to get this passage. It came at a time when I really needed it. Um, hopefully, as we go through this, you know, we'll recognize that we have, as pastors, been doing these things that we're about to look at, and hopefully we continue to improve in each of these areas because we always do need to improve. But I will say that I'm very grateful for the three pastors that I have here. Uh, if you go to the door, you guys have four pastors. I have three. That's the difference. I'm very grateful for the way they've conducted themselves, for the example that they've been to me uh, through this whole thing, and, and for the way they've carried me along at times when I really needed it. So now, admittedly, much of what we're going to be looking at today applies directly to pastors. But um, the things Paul is encouraging these guys in indirectly apply to all of us to some extent. And so don't just um, you know, do what I used to do. And like, oh, they're not talking to me. I can tune out. This applies to the church, and, and it's something we all need to, to understand. So I hope that when you hear these things, you'll be challenged in your own walk as well. Okay, so Paul is, is getting ready to head to Jerusalem, but first he wants to meet with the pastors uh, from the Ephesian church and to say goodbye to them, to remind them of what's really important. This is his last chance to really emphasize what he wants to emphasize with, the, with them and give them some parting instructions, both by way of example and by way of exhortation. So we pick it up in verse 18. This is a long section, so get ready. Here we go. Verse 18 says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. <laughs> That's like, wow, Paul. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know, I know what I got to look forward to, so I'm going. Verse 24, he says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, 
it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken that, he would not, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied to him to the ship. I told you that was a long one. Uh, this is probably three sermons worth of material, and Terry said, you're good at taking long passages, <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> it won't be that long. Um, again, I, I can't tell you how timely this passage was for me uh, particularly. I recently told the other pastors that we're in a time where it feels like no matter what I do, it's wrong. <laughs> and that's a really frustrating thing. It's like, if you, if you have church, you're wrong. If you don't have church, you're wrong. If you speak up about any particular social issue that happens to be out there, you're wrong. If you don't speak up, you're wrong. You know, if I say black lives matter, I'm wrong. If I say all lives matter, I'm wrong. If I say blue lives matter, I mean, forget about it. You know, you just, it, no matter what you say or don't say right now, you're wrong. And so it's super disorienting. It's like, what do we do at this point? People are hurting and struggling and confused and they need to know something from us that's helpful. And this passage just kind of reorients and recalibrates me to the point where it's like, this is what I need to be focused in on. This is what I need to do as, as, as a shepherd. Paul doesn't ever plan to see these guys again on this side of heaven, so he focuses on the most important things he can tell them. And he reminds, me, reminds them of what God has called them to do in serving his church. And as I already said, even those things, these are directed at pastors, I want you to notice that Jesus himself does all of these things. And he is your example and my example. So as we go through this, you can't just say, well, that just applies to you. No, if Jesus did it, guess who else it applies to? All of us, yeah. So here we go. The first thing Paul says to him in verse 18 is that he lived among them. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day to the time I left. There's a popular thought out there among pastors that they're supposed to distance themselves from the, from the people, right? Keep yourself separate from them. Don't, don't get too close. Don't let them in. Keep your distance. And I don't know where that comes from. I really don't get it. It seems like a bad idea, especially when I consider Jesus. Uh, he lived in glory. He could have left, lived separate from us forever if he'd wanted to. And yet we read in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, made his home with us. Us. He wanted to be with us. And, and as, as shepherds of the church, I want to be with you guys. I want, I want you in my life. I benefit from that. And I want to be in your life. Family is that way. And I wish more people got that. I wish more people spent time together in the church. Paul didn't live above these people. He lived among them. He wrote to the church in Thessalonica these words later. Or actually, it might have been before. No, it was later. I don't know. Somebody, somebody who knows geography, the timelines and chronology, correct me on this. He wrote to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 8, We cared so deeply for you that we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives. That is how dear you were to us. He did write this before. It just came to me. The church is family. Spending time together is good. Uh, I, I think sometimes people feel like they can't bug us. You know, the pastors are busy. They've got more important things. They're unavailable. I want to stress to you, we say this all the time, do we have important things to do? Sure. Are they more important than you? Probably not. Probably not at all. So if, the, if you have a need, if there's something going on in your life, let us know. We want to, we want to be a part of that. So the second thing we see him doing is that he served them. And that's in verse 19. 
It's funny because we see a lot of celebrity pastors today, these guys that are like rock stars, and, and you can't get near them. We had somebody came to this church uh, about a year ago and said, we were at another church in a different state, not naming names, I don't even know who it was as far as the pastor goes, but they said they had a security team around them, and you could never even talk to them or get to know them or, or even you know get close to them. And I thought, well, <laughs> that's kind of weird, but that's kind of the day and age we live in. A pastor is a servant. That's what we are. We're, we're like a glorified servant, really, when it comes down to it. We're not celebrities. We're not here to make a name for ourselves or to get wealthy or, or anything else. We're here to make Jesus famous by serving him and his people, period. And again, we see Jesus. Mark ten forty five, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Nowhere is this seen more clearly than when we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Feet are gross. Really gross. And I don't, I don't want to be that kind of servant because I don't like feet. But that's our example. At least in that attitude. If I hopefully I don't really have to do it, but I will. Uh, I need to have that attitude that, you know, whether it's emptying the garbage or washing feet or whatever it is, that's not above me. It wasn't above Jesus, who, who washed their feet and then went to the cross to die for them. He literally gave his life for them. And that's our example. Paul says that just like his Savior, his example, he served the church with humility, with tears, and with trials. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And it sounds a lot like what we're probably going to go through. And I've got to point out, by the way, tears are mentioned three times in this passage. So, just saying... Paul was a bit of a pansy. No, I'm just kidding. I, if you're new here, I get, I get, no, I don't want to say made fun of, but I cry a bit. All right. The next thing we see that Paul didn't do is he didn't shrink back. And we see that in verses 20 and verses 27. The word here for shrink means to cower or to draw back. I, I kind of picture a turtle when danger comes, that kind of like, you know, that or one of those little, I call them potato bugs. Uh, I think they're called roly-poly sometimes. You know, danger comes and you just kind of like roll up into a ball. I can relate to that. That's kind of my, my go-to. If something funny comes along, I, I just want to retreat quickly. Paul wasn't afraid to stick his neck out. He wasn't afraid to lead the charge. There are times when pastors have to say and do some really hard things. And it can be tempting to draw back and not make waves. I appreciate the team in this regard as well. Again, shouldn't name names, but there's a couple of guys here that don't shrink back, ever. Uh, I appreciate David and Terry, I'll just say it. These guys, even though it's hard, sometimes they have to grab my arms and, and move me along with them in these things, and I'm glad for it, because it, it, it's difficult to hurt people, it's difficult to say hard things sometimes, and these guys do it in a loving and humble way, but they do it. And I'm glad to be partnered with, things, with guys like this. I don't know, Chad, if you're a, a, a turtle like me or if you're more of the other guy, but we'll figure that out later. I don't want to leave Chad out. So, <laughs> Paul mentions four areas where he refused to shrink back. And the first one was that he would not shrink back in proclaiming the gospel message. And the gospel message, according to what he says here, includes repentance and faith. We like to leave repentance out of the gospel message today. Nobody wants to say, you need to turn from those things and believe in Christ. You need to abandon that and turn to him. That's what the gospel message is. The gospel message includes sin, it includes punishment, and it includes a savior who will rescue you from those things. 
You have to include both of those things. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He preached it boldly. He also didn't shrink from proclaiming the kingdom of God. He wanted them to know that there was something coming. He wanted them to know that there was something ahead to look forward to. We, we talk about the kingdom a lot here, and it's partly because when you think about what we're going through right now, it, it's craziness. I mean, if you, you, I don't even like to turn on the news. Sometimes I don't know if I'm reading like a real article or a satire article because it's so crazy right now. And when we start to get despair, we start to get overwhelmed, we start to get nervous, we start to worry, we start to get depressed. And, and the kingdom is something we can look over the top of all this garbage and see. We can see Jesus at the finish line saying, come on, I'm here. It's going to get better. And so we need to preach the kingdom a lot. The other reason we need to preach the kingdom, quite frankly, is because some people still are trying to build their kingdom here. They think that it's like, it's literally like watching a kid on, on the beach building a sandcastle right before the tide comes in. It's like, what do you think's going to happen? Go for it. You know, it's, it's all going to just get washed away and it's not worth your time. We're here because Jesus left us here to tell people about him. We're not here to build a kingdom of our own. Our kingdom's coming. It's going to be fantastic. Invest in that one, not this one. He also didn't shrink back from proclaiming the whole council of God, which means he taught all of it, the parts they wanted to hear and the parts they didn't want to hear. And, and that means he spent time in the Old Testament back when God was angry and, and mad and nobody liked him, right? That's what we do with the Old Testament sometimes. That's not true at all. We, try, we tend to think, well, that, I don't know about that God, but the one in the New Testament is really cool. I like him. No, he, he ta- there's people now that are, we've talked about this, but they've said we need to unhitch from the Old Testament and leave that behind because nobody wants to hear that. Paul said, I, it'll be like I have blood on my hands if I don't teach you the whole counsel of God, all of it. And he gets that from Ezekiel 33, where, where God taught, he compares his prophet to the watchman. And he, and he says that you're my watchman. You're the one that's over the house. And if you hear my word and don't tell people, it'll be like you have blood on your hands when they, when they, when they drive off the cliff. But if you hear my words and you do tell them, regardless of what they do, we're good. That's what you're supposed to do. So there's this, you know, this idea of I can lead a person to truth, but I can't make them believe. I can't make them obey. But I, I definitely, to not do that, to ignore a person, like if I see you in your car with your foot all the way down on the gas, speeding towards a cliff, and you don't see the bridge out sign, and I do, and I see all of it, and you don't see any of it, what am I supposed to do? Well, I don't want to get into their business, you know? I don't want to be that guy in their life. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. I need to jump out in front of your car, wave my arms, scream at you, get your attention, and let you know what's about to happen. And, and nobody wants to do that anymore. And we don't do it because we, we just like to be busybodies in your life or to hurt you. We do it because we love you and we care about you. It's the most loving thing we can do to warn you when, when you go off the rails and start to do things that God's word tells you not to do. So we often have to say things to people they don't want to hear, and it's tempting to just shrink back, but that's not what a good shepherd does. The last thing we see, not the last thing in the sermon, but the last thing in this section, just so you don't get excited. You gotta be careful when you say the last thing. Paul did it in Philippians. Finally, my brothers, and he writes two more chapters. It's like, so don't, don't get excited. The last thing Paul is not shrinking back from is suffering for the name of Christ. 
you see Paul almost excited when he talks about, you know, I'm going, the Holy Spirit's constraining me to go to Jerusalem. Guess what awaits me there? Uh, affliction and pain and imprisonment. So I'm going there. And it's like, I would have gone like the other way, probably like, let's go to Tarsus where Jonah went. But that's not what Jesus told us was going to happen. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. I don't like suffering, but as one of the leaders in this church, if I don't do it well, I can't expect you to do it well. So things are going to come into our lives that are hard, that are difficult, and, and we need to be, continue to trust the Lord, continue to believe in his promises, you know, Jesus, again, is our perfect example of this. He, didn't never, he never shrunk from the Father's will, even when it meant he was going to suffer greatly. I love that idea that in Isaiah 57. It says he set his face like flint. And you see it in Luke 9, too. And it says when, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. You almost see that kind of like, I mean, yeah, I'm doing this. That The Father wants me to do this. I'm doing it. And even in the garden, you see him saying, Father, if it's possible... I would, I would much rather not have this cup poured out on me, the cup of your wrath poured out on me. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. And that's our example. Paul followed that example, and, and we need to as well. The next thing we see Paul telling the elders to do is found in verses 28 through 31, where he tells them to be watchful and attentive. 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And then he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he tells them they need to be watchful for three things, themselves, the flock, and the wolves. That pretty much makes up the church right there, right? Um, a shepherd who's good at what he does is a shepherd who is a, one who pays attention. I've never herded sheep my Basque ancestors did and were very good at it, but I've never had the privilege of herding sheep and I have no desire to do it in that true sense, but I know what it's like in the church. And it stands to reason that if you're going to take care of the sheep well, you first have to take care of yourself well. If you show up that morning, you know, morning Fred, morning Sam, to watch the sheep uh, and, and you're tired or you're hungover or you're weak or sick, you're not gonna do a good job. And so what this means for the pastor is that you need to stay spiritually fit. If my tank's empty and I have nothing to give, that's not good. And first, that goes for my family, by the way. First, you know, first I need to make sure that I'm being fed and I'm, I'm in a good relationship with the Lord, that I'm spiritually fit here, but then my family is next, my wife and my kids. I can't neglect that. And it's so easy to do that as a pastor. And I've done it before and I apologize. They're not, you know, they're not here, but I am sorry for that. So, so often it's easier to pick the church over family. I have to go be there for them. You know, I have to go be there for them. No, we have to take care of our family first. This, by the way, um, this idea of having to be on for the sheep also is another reason why team leadership is so critical because there are times when I'm, my tank's empty, but I got three guys around me who, who are doing well. And maybe there's two of us that are struggling, but two of us aren't, you know, this team approach helps us. We can go, we can still go tend to the sheep and be okay. We, we spread out our defenses. You know, we can watch for wolves better with the, when there's more of us and we can, we can make sure that some of the sheep aren't getting lost and falling through the cracks. And, and we always need to do a better job of this. Um, but ultimately, it's a huge benefit to have a team when it comes to this. Wolves, by the way, are those who, who bring in false teaching 
or who stir up trouble. Both of those are bad for the church. Um, you know, ultimately, and I, and I say this lovingly, if this has been a weird time in the church where people have vocally been upset with us at times, if there's things, you know, that you don't understand that we're doing and why we're doing them and things like that, please, please, please come and talk to us. Please have a conversation with us. Uh, what happens so often is people just stay unhappy and disgruntled and they stay in the church body and that doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, if you come and talk to us, a couple things could happen. One, we could explain, hey, this is why we're doing it this way, and this is what's going on, and they could say, oh, that makes sense. I didn't know that. Thanks for the clarification, and we're good. Or they can say, or we could say, I should say, you're right. We, we, we messed this up completely, which we do sometimes. If you've been here any length of time, you know we don't always get it right. Sometimes you come to us and talk to us, and we say, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to fix this, and we, we're made aware of something we didn't know about, and sometimes we just say, you know what? We're going to have to agree to disagree, and when it comes to that point, you know, to stay in a, in a group when you're, when you're upset and disgruntled isn't helpful. It's probably not wise. So I would just encourage you guys, if there's a point where you become disgruntled or unhappy or, or not sure what's going on, you, you really do need to come and meet with us and talk to us. It's, it's important. Well, the last thing, uh, by the way, well, first I'll say this. Jesus is our, is our example of what a good shepherd does. Um, we see this in John chapter 10, verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. You know, I, that's one of the things that I, we, we uh, when we started this church, we didn't get paid and we were okay with that. If the pay went away tomorrow, we would stay here because we've been called to be in this body and to, and to do this. And, and we do it because we love the chief shepherd and we love his people. And, and so we, we're not going anywhere in that regard. We're not hired hands that, that when a wolf comes in that we're just going to run, even though my tendency is to run. But, but I'm not going to. Uh, we're going to stand and fight because we care about you. And our job is, is to be here for you in, in every way possible. Um, so the last thing we see Paul exhorting the church elders to do is to not take advantage of their position. Uh, so many pastors get into this for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's money, you know, maybe it's fame, whatever, but, but he doesn't want them to take advantage of their position. So Paul says, I didn't, I didn't ever take from you. I worked hard among you. I set an example in the way I did this. Um, and, and I really love that. He sums things up with the words of the chief shepherd himself by reminding them that it is better to give than to receive. And I hope that that's what you think of when you think of the pastors here, that, that they're not here to take, they're here to pour themselves out and to give. And I know we need to do better. And I know that there's always room for improvement, but I hope that that's the kind of pastors that, that the Lord causes us to be in your midst. I got through all of this so far without any tears, and Paul didn't even do that in this section, so I'm just pointing that out. I'm verklempt, but there's no, there's no tears. Jesus exemplifies this statement perfectly. It, for him, he gave. He didn't come to take, he, come, he came to give. He came to give his life, expecting nothing in return. As pastors, we wanna live alongside of you. Uh, we wanna serve you. We want to continually remind you that you have a savior who loves you, who wants you who went to the cross to save you and to have a relationship with you. We wanna continually make sure you are aware of that. We wanna continually proclaim the whole counsel of God to you, every last bit of it, which means sometimes we'll be comforting the afflicted 
And sometimes we'll be afflicting the comfortable, and both are okay. We want to repeatedly remind you that you have a blessed hope, a kingdom that's coming with a king that is amazing, where all of this garbage that we see today will be dealt with, and you can be there with him. And we need to be an example to you so that you can in turn do the things that you see us doing among each other. That's what we want to see. We want to see this church loving each other, caring for each other the way it always has. We just want to continue to do that and also loving the community in the same way. But we can't do this alone. Uh, We need you desperately. It's been so weird to not be together. It's just reminded me of how important it is to be with each other. And so seeing faces out here today, and I know people at home, um, it's, it's something, we need your help, we need your prayers, we need your support, we need your involvement because we're a family. And family sticks together through thick and thin. So I'm blessed to be uh, one of the pastors here at the church. I, I love this place, I love God's people. And um, I just wanna say thank you to everybody who's prayed for us and encouraged us through this weird time. I, I know it's been, we just haven't, you know, how do we shepherd God's people during a time like this? It's been, it's been goofy. Um, but you've truly helped us to keep, keep on keeping on, and, and we're grateful for you. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll, we'll sing, and then we'll go. Father, thank you so much again for, for giving the church um, people to oversee it. What a, what a great thing it is, Lord, to have um, these pastors in my life that mean so much to me. And I just pray, Father, that we would uh, continually seek your face, that we would be humble, uh, that we would lead well, Lord, that we would be like that watchman, uh, who, who is willing to do the hard things, Father, as well. Uh, so give us wisdom, Lord, in, in that regard, and then bless this church, Lord. Help us to be unified. Help us to be uh, kind and loving toward each other. Uh, help us to find ways to really be involved in each other's lives. And Lord, ultimately, help us to, to go into the community and, and let the people out there that, that don't know you right now know that there is a Savior and there is a kingdom and, and that they can be a part of it, Lord. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.